Hi, I'm Jess. I'm from the evening service and I'll be reading the second Bible passage for tonight from Acts 20 verse 28 to 32. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hi everyone, it's great to be with you. We're going to start with a game of is it true and does it matter? That's how it works. I'm going to make a statement and you can respond. Now if you're watching this with others, you might even want to stop the podcast and have a little discussion about it. So ready? Here we go. Number one, cats are more friendly than dogs. My bad. So sorry. I shouldn't have started with such a controversial issue. There's lots of opinions out there. But at the end of the day, they are just opinions. The answer doesn't have a big impact on our lives. All right, number two, stop when the light is red. Now, this one is true, and it does matter because, well, if you ignore it, you could have a pretty bad accident. You could have me killed. All right, number three, fruit and vegetables are bad for you. Well, let's be honest, they don't always taste great. My cooking sometimes proves that. But it's false. Fruit and veggies, they are good for us. Does it matter? Well, yes, to a point. I mean, a good diet can really impact your overall health. But there's more to life than just what we eat. Number four, King Herod is alive. Sorry, that's a dud. That's false. He died a few years after Jesus was born, and it has no bearing whatsoever on our lives here 2,000 years later. Number five, Jesus is alive. Well, friends, that idea is central to the Christian faith, and I'm going to let you think about that. Friends, we live in a culture where truth, especially in matters of religious belief, is staggeringly unimportant to most people. Truth is regarded as subjective and is largely a means to achieving personal fulfilment and happiness. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're happy. But our little game showed that the truth matters a lot in some things in life. How much more then when it's something that affects a person's eternal destiny? As we look at this passage... I want us to all consider our response to the claims of Jesus in the gospel. Do we believe that it's true? Do we believe that it matters? And if so, how might that shape our lives as individuals and as a family of God's people here in Shell Harbour? Well, let's pray and ask God to help us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that you haven't left us in the dark, but you've given us everything we need to know to be saved and to live godly lives while we await Jesus' return. Father, as we uh, sit under your word now, please help us to listen carefully 
to weigh up what we hear, to be eager to understand and, and quick to obey what we understand for your glory, for our good and for the progress of the gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, first impressions are pretty important. Uh, so I think it's really striking that Paul deals with this issue of false doctrines right at the start of his letter. Uh, it's not exactly you know like coffee shop conversation, is it? Uh, the big issue is there in verse 11. Sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Yeah, by God's grace, he had saved Paul and revealed the truths of the gospel to him in a personal, wonderful, wonderful revelation. Now, Paul was the first one to preach that gospel uh, to the people in Ephesus. He loved them and he desperately now wants to see them continue in God's truth. And since Paul was out of town at this point, he writes clear instructions for Timothy, who's there in Ephesus, telling him what he needs to do. Uh, so verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Why does he need to say it? I mean, they've obviously already had this conversation. Now he's put it in writing because it was hard. Ephesus was a large pagan city and ministry was a constant struggle. In the reading from Acts 20, Paul warned them about the future. Savage wolves will come in among you. And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. There were dangers from the outside the wolves. There were dangers from inside the church itself. And it's my guess that Timothy sometimes simply felt like leaving. You know, how lovely it would be to serve God in an easier place. But for the sake of the gospel, Timothy needed to stay in Ephesus. I've always admired missionaries who've deliberately chosen to go to hard places for the sake of the gospel. And they've persevered for years, sometimes decades, with constant opposition and hardship. That's why it's so important for us to partner with them in fervent prayer and, and generous giving and, and warm care. Now, we sometimes find it hard to persevere as Christians when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, whatever it may be. And maybe that describes you right now in lockdown. Um, friends, hang in there. Stay the course. Hold on to Jesus. Trust him. Keep being godly. Now, in his word, he's given us everything we need for godly living. And he's promised never to allow us to be tested beyond our, our ability to stand firm. So don't lose sight of the truth and the hope of the gospel. And that's exactly what was at stake in Ephesus. The truth and the hope of the gospel was being eroded by these false teachers. And Paul uses really strong language. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Timothy was not merely pastor of a growing church in a difficult city. He was a soldier serving under King Jesus. And he had orders to pass on to his fellow soldiers. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations 
rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Friends, what a job description, what a challenge. Our doctrine, that refers to re religious teaching, uh, what, we, what we teach. But the word literally just means what is taught. Uh, and in any subject in school, there's things that are true and things that are false. So if I was to say, yeah, 2 plus 2 equals 5, that's false teaching. The earth goes around the sun, that's true teaching. C major has three flats, <laughs> that's false teaching. Some of you would have spotted it. Now, if what is taught matters in maths or science or music, because there is a right and a wrong, how much more does it matter what we teach in the church? as we instruct people in the matters of God. What is taught is then believed. And in Ephesus, false doctrine was in the pulpit. That's why it had to be stopped. Now, it may have been clothed in enough religious language and Old Testament sort of quotes for people to embrace it, but it was leading them astray from the truth and the hope of the gospel itself. Now, so myths and endless genealogies, that was a real problem. Ephesus was a melting pot of religious ideas, old as well as new. And the Jewish contingent were always in danger of thinking they were right with God because of their family tree, rather than by faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, can I just say on that, if you grew up in a Christian family, uh, you know, can I encourage you, don't rely on anyone else's connection to God to get you connected to God. Make sure you trust Jesus personally. Don't rely on your parents or your youth leader. Trust Jesus for yourself. And let's be careful not to allow myths or superstitious ideas to sneak into our thinking and get us off track. Now, some churches today use the name of Jesus, but they do so to talk lots about love and freedom and compassion and social justice, but you never hear any mention of sin or judgment, or, or, or hell. Now, their meetings might be engaging or, and motivating, and their songs might be uh, really good too. But if the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our lives is not central, then the faith of those who attend will never be deeply fed and enriched. That's one reason why we just work our way through whole books of the Bible. It forces us to teach the whole counsel of God and stops us just sort of picking up all our favourite verses from here and there. Friends, let's be good listeners to God's word. John and I and others who preach here, our goal is simply to explain what God has already spoken and apply it to our lives. So let's sit together under God's word, humbly, eager to understand and ready to obey. False doctrines, uh, myths and endless genealogies is not the path to God. Jesus is. And see what those things lead to? Controversial speculation. Because there's so many ideas floating around and it's my opinion versus your opinion and we never resolve anything. But when we focus on Christ and submit to his teaching, we have a secure foundation for life and a rock-solid confidence for eternity. That's how we, see the end of verse 4, that's how we advance God's work, which is by faith. 
It's not a blind faith, but faith in the truths that God has given to us in his word. Friends, Timothy needed loads of courage to confront these leaders. Uh, yeah, if it happened in our culture, uh, a clash like that would be labelled intolerant, fundamentalist, oh, it's religious extremism or you know, hate speech. Yeah, if you disagree with me, of course you hate me. Uh, but what's the motive according to God? Look at verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Like Timothy, we need to be motivated by a love that is more committed to God's truth and the eternal well-being of others than our own comfort and convenience. To speak the truth of the gospel is loving, but we also need to learn to speak that truth in a loving manner, to speak it with gentleness and respect. Now, although it was hard, Paul's first challenge to Timothy was stay in Ephesus. His second was stay with the scriptures. Verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Now, part of the problem in Ephesus was that some leaders had misunderstood the law of God. As verse 7 has just said, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Now, elsewhere, Paul tells us exactly how to use the law properly. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the purpose of the law is to expose and restrain and convict sinful people of their sin. It's very likely that these false teachers were preaching a form of legalism and it lures people in because rules and regulations enable a person to appear righteous without having to genuinely change their heart and yield to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, many people uh, you know, will, will look at Christians and kind of condemn anyone with standards, um, especially higher standards than, than themselves, uh, as being a legalist. Can I just say that Having standards and keeping them does not make you a legalist. And obedience to those standards, that doesn't make us legalists. We are legalists when we think that what we do is what makes us right with God. Friends, the law makes us aware of sin, but it can never save us from our sin. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, trusting that his death on the cross paid in full the penalty our sins deserve. You see, law and gospel, they go together. Law without the gospel is a diagnosis without a cure. But the gospel without the law is the good news of salvation to people who don't think they need it. Until I know I'm a sinner in the hands of a righteous God who is my judge, I'll see no need for his mercy to me in Christ. Now, once the law has shown me my sin and my need for a saviour, suddenly Christ is everything I need and the law has done its work. I'm now righteous in God's sight. That's why Paul says in verse 9, the law is made not for the righteous, 
but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practising homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. Now, they're all sins that were characteristic of Ephesus in that day, in the first century. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities with our own culture. Actually, it addresses similar things to what are listed in the Ten Commandments. Now, the purpose of, of lists like that, and there's quite a few of them in the New Testament, is not so that we can be smug and point the finger at others, but so that we can recognise ourselves somewhere in those lists, if not all over the place, and marvel at God's grace to us in Christ. That's why the last line is there, by the way, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. We're all caught up in there. Uh, Paul's not saying that Christians of his day never struggled with those same sins. In fact, a few verses later, he goes on to say that he was once the worst of sinners. Rather, he's saying that we're all sinful people, but if the law has done its work in showing us our sin, we see the need of our Saviour and we can find undeserved salvation in Christ. Praise be to God. So friends, as we respond to God's word today, let's thank God for his law that makes us aware of sin. Let's thank God for our salvation in Christ. Let's confess our tendency to desire happiness and comfort over living and speaking the truth of the gospel and ask for his strength of his spirit to change. And let's ask God to strengthen us to persevere in faithful and fruitful Godly living, even when we're facing hard times. Amen.